Hey everyone, Pastor Steve here. Hope you're doing well today. And we're looking forward to a terrific Sunday of worship as we celebrate the resurrection. Thank you for praying for all the invitations we mailed out. We sent out a couple thousand of those and people are already responding and some are saying they're going to come to church. Also, your life baskets. Please continue to uh, pray about that and invite, uh, purpose to invite someone, maybe a classmate, a coworker, or a neighbor, and make a little goodie basket of some nice things and bring an invitation. Have them come and sit with you at church on Sunday. That would be terrific. Also, scattered group hosts, a couple ideas. If it seems like, wow, um, you know, this, this meal right before the Bible study is taking a lot of time or effort or something, it's okay just to have a, a week or two where you don't have any food or maybe you have a dessert afterwards. Whatever you choose to do will be great. I know the fellowship has been awesome and uh, we, we certainly enjoy it, but I know it's a lot of work. So everyone, be sure to tell your hosts thank you so much for their help. Maybe help them clean up some stuff afterwards as well and we're really glad for all the host locations and your good spirits of discipleship that you're helping instill into our church also our scattered group t-shirts are now here and so we'll be distributing those to all of our leaders uh, our scattered group hosts and so you'll be getting those soon so hopefully the next two weeks you'll have your nice new uh, shirt to uh, to be able to wear. We're glad to provide this to you. We're so thankful for everyone that's faithful in our discipleship here of walking with others in our scatter groups. We're in 2 Corinthians, and so find chapter 6 if you would. I may cough a little bit today, and so if you would pray that that would heal uh, before Sunday for sure, that'd be great. Let's go ahead and pray at this time. Father, we thank you for this time to gather. We are so glad for each of our scatter groups and the host and the good work of discipleship that's taking place and fellowship with one another. We pray that you would teach us your word now. Let us all grow closer to you and become more like you, less like this world. And we do pray for this Easter Sunday and the celebration of the resurrection. We're thank you. We're thankful to you that you're alive. And we pray that others would see this truth and uh, give us the boldness and the love in our hearts to share your word with others and to invite others to know you. And so we commit this time of the study to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Alexander the Great <coughs> was once invited to run a marathon, a race amongst others who were commoners, the common multitude. He gave them this answer. Were I not the son of a king, I would not care what company I kept. But being the son of a prince, I must employ myself in such company as is suitable to my birth and breeding. Sounds kind of conceited, but there is a true sentiment behind what he is saying. As Christians, we're sons and daughters of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And while we're to be witnesses to everyone and have friends with many, our closest friends and the people that, that we allow to influence us, must be of of a quality that also love the Lord Jesus Christ. Else, we could not follow the verses that we're about to read. Now, in first or Second Corinthians, rather, chapter six, we'll begin reading in verse fourteen. And notice these verses here. We'll bring this message: biblical separation. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, verse 17 is the key text, Wherefore come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty." Be separate. Charles Ryrie has a great uh, study Bible. I like his commentary. He says, be separate. Personal separation involves not being unequally yoked, not loving the world, 1 John 2, verses 15 through 17, though using the world, 1 Corinthians 7, 31, not having fellowship with sinning brethren, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, and on the positive side, exhibiting Christ-likeness. I like that assessment that he gives. The Apostle Paul deals extensively with the, the Christian church living in a pagan culture who expected people to eat food that was offered to idols. They would uh, slay a cow or some other animal and they would cut it all up and they would burn it on an altar in front of a false god. And then they would take it to the marketplace or they would have a, a giant party there at whatever temple of that false god is and would expect people to participate in eating that. Now, <clears throat> this wasn't just some kind of a, a pagan religiosity. It was part of their entire civic culture in Corinth and in many other parts of the world at the time. And so it wasn't just a, such an easy thing like abstain from this. If anyone that was anyone in their society would have participated in this, where they would eat these, these meals that were offered to idols. And so it was an integral part of the social fabric of Roman society. And sometimes even their civic responsibilities. Hey, you need to drink this alcohol with us and come to this party with us uh, because you're on the council or you're part of this society or you're, you're a leading person in business in our town. And so there were some of these cultural expectations that were being imposed on people, not just from the religious overtones. And so when Paul is saying this, he's saying we don't want to not only practice the false religions, but we don't want to think like and have the philosophy of this pagan culture where anything goes, where anything goes in our society. There are invitations that are found to these types of parties. And um, archaeologists have uncovered some of these documents. One said, Hirius ask you to dine in the dining room of the Serapion at the banquet of the Lord Serapis tomorrow, the 11th, from the ninth hour. <coughs> from the ninth hour on, we're going to have this party. And so this was not just a religious experience, it was also some of their cultural expectations of society. Now, as Christians, we live in this world, but we're not of this world. 
We are to go into all the world and preach the gospel. We don't isolate ourselves. We're not monks hiding away in some cave or mountain somewhere. But we are to influence, plant the seed of the Word of God with those around us, but we're separated from the ideologies and the philosophies and any pagan practices that may be permeating society around us. So still preach the gospel. Still have acquaintances who are lost that need to be found, that need to know about Christ. Still rub shoulders with others, but always be ready to <coughs> to offer a reason of the hope that is in you. So my question was, what is the unclean thing? Notice that in verse 17. Come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. Notice thing is italicized. It's not in the Greek language there. It's, it's just supplied by the guys who translated this. So it, it says, touch not unclean. If it's dirty, don't touch it. Have you ever seen something that was just gross? It was putrid. It was like, I don't want to touch that. That's what it's saying. Don't touch that thing that is dirty. Don't touch that thing. There are many unclean things. As one person summarized, there are many unclean things endemic to human life and society, which we encounter every day of our lives. There are unclean books, movies, television programs. We know today there are unclean web pages and applications or apps and unclean uh, music and unclean uh, practices all around us. There are impure stories and suggestions. There are unclean practices which are excused by the unregenerate as alternative lifestyles. In fact, we are living in a filthy world and we are commanded to separate ourselves from its dirt and defilement as far as, as humanly possible. But even more than humanly possible, what is spiritually possible in your heart and mind with the power of the Holy Ghost and through the, the cleansing of the scriptures themselves. Notice the phrase in verse um, 16, I will be their God, they shall be my people. This is an Old Testament reference Leviticus 26, 11 and 12, I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. Ezekiel 37, Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. It shall be an everlasting covenant with them, and I will place them and multiply them, and set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Exodus says the same thing. And Jeremiah says the same thing. In the last book in the Bible, Revelation, I love this, says the same thing. Revelation 21, 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I like how one person stated, The people of God enjoy no greater privilege than that of belonging to him and having him dwell with them. In the Old Testament period, God made himself present in the tabernacle and the temple. But since Pentecost, he dwells in his people and with his people. As a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ living inside of you. What a blessing. What an amazing thing. You're the temple of the living God. That helps us further understand and apply the verses here in our passage today. He says, touch not the unclean. Touch not the unclean thing. Well, this echoes Isaiah. 
Isaiah 52, 11, Depart ye, depart ye, go out from thence, touch no unclean thing. Isaiah 52, 11, Go ye out of the midst of her, be ye clean, that bear the vessels of the Lord. So in that case, it would be the priest. You guys need to be uh, pure. You need to make sure that you're clean, spiritually clean, physically clean, and uh, come on out from the midst of all that, that wickedness and that idolatry. The substance of Isaiah 52 is taken from this uh, primary appeal of the Jewish exiles in Babylon to leave their pagan place of exile and return to Judea, uh, to Judah and Jerusalem. In like manner, Paul appeals to the Corinthians to leave their past life, worldliness, worldly philosophy, sinfulness and fleshly living, and live a new life in Christ that is separated to God. So this is called biblical separation. And there's a promise connected. He says, I will receive you. I will receive you. This is a partial quotation from Ezekiel. Ezekiel 20, verse 34, I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein you are scattered with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out. In the context of Ezekiel, God is gathering people for purging, removing rebels who are worshiping false idols. This citation from Ezekiel interprets another one that's found in Isaiah and also again in Ezekiel, which is this, I will receive you. So it contains not only a welcome, but a warning as well. And Paul extends this to these Corinthian believers. You are welcomed by God. There's also this warning, come out from among them. The primary reference of the text was to exiles, this is talking about those in Ezekiel, who Paul is quoting, was the exiles returning from Babylon. But again, Paul makes an application to the Corinthians who are called to abandon compromise with paganism. Today, it would be called secularism. Secular. A life apart from God. Well, that's not the Christian that's not the Christian. We live the Christian life in this secular society. We live the Christian life in this pagan society, in this dark and sinful society. And so areas of separation in verses 14 through 16 can be found in the form of five questions. And uh, they're rhetorical questions that Paul gives. But notice how he begins with the word yoked. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And then he goes in to ask these questions. Yoked is a term of farming. Farming. So let's say you have an oxen and another oxen. They're about the same stature, about the same weight. They have a, a wide girth to them. And so they take strides. They're pulling their own weight. They can move forward. They can go wherever the driver is telling them to go to pull the, the plow or the instruments or the discs or whatever. And they're going the same direction. They're able to maneuver the right way. But let's say you have one oxen over here and the yoke is a piece of wood that is attached to both of these beasts of burden. But let's say this is an, an, an oxen right here and you have a donkey. The donkey is, is, is tiny. He's skinny, his leg stretch, uh, his, his gait, his walking gait is not as long as an oxen because he's not quite as tall. His legs aren't as long. And so what happens then, if you unequally yoke an oxen with that little donkey, they're going to go in circles. 
the oxen's going to pull more weight and instead of being able to go straight because the donkey can't pull quite as much it's just going to go in circles and go in circles and so paul says be not an equally yoke don't hook yourself up like a like a farm team with teammates who are going to cause you to spin in circles apply this in spiritual ways your friends your closest people the ones you're most intimate with um, people that maybe you would go into business with um, you'll go in circles in spiritual terms you'll go in circles you won't get closer to god in fact you might just spin in circles and be kind of stagnant because of being unequally yoked with somebody if you get a wrong teammate that certainly will impact this so five questions are asked and here they are what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness the word fellowship means partnership a partnership communion what communion hath light with darkness again these things are directly on the opposite side of the spectrum light and dark and so these are on opposite sides the word communion has to do with fellowship it's the word koinonia which means common common something that's regular has to do with sharing and so what fellowship has light with darkness? Well, they don't share anything in common. Light and darkness do not share anything in common. Concord has to do with harmony. It, what Concord hath Christ with Belial. Belial is another term for Satan. So how can Christ and Satan live together in harmony? Well, that can't happen inside the Christian's life either. What part? Part means portion or the dividing up of things. What part hath he that believeth with an infidel. So you have a believer, you have an infidel who has declared and stated himself against God. How can these have a part? How can they divide up? How can they uh, work together? And then finally, he says, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? So here, as a Christian, you're the temple of the living God. Uh, what agreement, and the word agreement has to do with putting down putting down together. It's a legal terminology that's used here of like when someone's co-signing something, they put it down on paper. It's a formal contract, a formal uh, formalization of an agreement. That's what the word agreement has to do with putting it down on paper. And so uh, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Well, there is none. There's no common ground. Christians try to bridge this gap all the time. And Paul says, in this rhetorical question, you can't do it. You can't do it. That's to be unequally yoked. You'll spin yourself in circles, not getting closer to God, maybe not getting further away from God, but you're certainly not being or becoming more <coughs> like Jesus. A businessman told me years ago, one of the most um, difficult and worst decisions he ever made was to bring in a business partner who was also not who was not a Christian and he said what happened was was their values were different their worldview was different they looked at their their business and they looked at what they did and what their goals were from a different perspective and he said uh, it's I, I became unequally yoked and he regretted that he said that was the worst decision of my life and friends whenever we are unequally yoked that's a bad decision. And it does cause us to go in circles. Now, I don't know if it's so much actions as it is philosophy and how we think. What we think is eventually what we do. So we always, usually we go to what's outside actions, you know, stuff that we see. 
But all that stems from the internal philosophy. And so be careful how you're thinking and what your philosophies are, because that will influence what you do. Actions follow our philosophy. Christians, we come out of this world. That's what God calls us to. We come out of this world. Uh, David Martin Lloyd-Jones said, the ultimate test that we should apply to ourselves in order to know whether or not we are Christians. Here it is. Are you living for this world or are you living for the one to come? Are you living for this present world or the world to come? Are you living for God or are you living for this present time? I think it's nearly impossible for a Christian young person who's being raised by TikTok and YouTube to be separated unto God, to really live a pure life. Because here's what happens. If you have hours and hours of TikTok and um, YouTube and other social media venues, it's just pouring into you philosophy, sexualization, wrong thinking, uh, coveting money, lusting after stuff and things. And, and basically it changes how you think. And it's really hard if you have a steady diet of just constant worldliness to actually live separated unto God. Now, how many of you have a cell phone? You have a cell phone. Okay, I have a cell phone. How many of you put a case on your cell phone? You put a case around your cell phone. Okay, why would you do that? Because your cell phone already has a case. It holds it all together. It already has a case. But why do you put another case around it? It's to protect it. Isn't that right? You don't want it to get scratched up or dented or something to break on it. So you put another protective case. Now, in the Christian life, we put rules and standards. And the rules and standards are not an end to themselves. Like, oh, they're more like God because of the rules and standards. It has nothing to do with it. They're not more like God because of the rules and standards. Rules and standards are not the end that you're trying to go for. Your goal is to become more like Jesus. Rules and standards that we may have are protective cases around us. And they're to protect us, to help us to be less like the world and to be more like Jesus. That's rules and standards. So be careful if you ever compare to other people. Don't compare to other people like, I'm more holy because of the standards that I have. No, no. You could be uh, externally having these standards and be totally corrupt inside. That's a conceited way to look at it. But rules and standards are like a cell phone case, just some extra protection. But the goal is to protect your life and the ultimate goal is to be more like Jesus. So think about this. How do we determine biblical separation? I, I've heard people be like, I, I can't be friends with this person because they're friends with them and they're friends with that other person and that person is, is like that and so I can't be friends with you know, three or four people separated. They have no idea what biblical separation is. So here's what Bible separation is. Here's three questions you can ask yourself about Bible separation. Is it dirty? Is it unclean? Akarthotos. It means unclean or impure. And so ask, is it dirty? Is this a sinful thing? Is it filthy before a holy and a righteous God? A second question is this, is it doubtful? There's a good statement. When in doubt, don't. If you're not sure, just don't do it. And here's Romans chapter 14, verse 30, 23. He that doubteth is damned if he eats, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. All right? It's the same scenario. Uh, uh, meat offered to idols. And should I eat it or not? If you have a doubt about something, if it's right or wrong, 
don't. You don't want to condemn your conscience. That's what Paul is talking about here. He, if he eats, he's, if he's doubting and he eats it anyway, he's damned if he eats it. He's condemning his own conscience. You don't want to go around with a guilty conscience because you're involved in stuff. I'm just not really sure about it. Uh, then, then don't. Then don't. That'll help you answer that question uh, of is this uh, right or wrong? And is this uh, something I should be discerning of? And you could study it out. You could figure it out. And then if it, if it doesn't matter, if it's uh, something that you feel uh, a clear conscience about, then you can. But if you ever have a doubt, don't. Is it dirty? There was one uh, man who was looking at the color of his shirt and he was looking at his sleeves. And, and uh, he didn't want his wife to have to do so much extra laundry. And so he would try to wear his shirt several times. And she saw him examining his shirt. And she said, if it's doubtful, it's dirty. If it's doubtful, it's dirty. So friends, it'd be good for us even. If it's doubtful, it's dirty, at least for your own conscience. And so you have to determine that as you study the scriptures and, and yield to the Holy Spirit. Here's some other questions about the doubt, some follow-ups. Does this help me look more like Jesus? Does this help me think more like Jesus? Does this cause people to think positively about Jesus? Does this cause others to stumble in their walk with Jesus? Or uh, another question, does this make me become more like Jesus? Uh, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It could be, if you use it right, could be a good and helpful question. And then finally, is it delusional? Is it delusional? The world, the flesh, and the devil right now in our society are telling men and women, boys and girls, to mutilate their bodies. If you're a man, you could be a woman. If you're a woman, you could be a man. And basically, this is a great ploy by Satan. Because humanity is created in the image of God, People are believing a lie about themselves. And Satan is attacking humanity because we're created in God's image. And he hates God. And he hates humanity. And so if he can get you to cut yourself or to uh, dismember yourself or to mar your body, then that thrills Satan. But, but you have people that are delusional about who they are. And they want you to be a part of their delusion. Well, go ahead and affirm my lie. Go ahead and pat me on the back and affirm my lie. You don't have to play that game. When in doubt, don't. If it's dirty, don't. If it's delusional, don't. This will help you with biblical separation and making choices in your life. Friends, we're created in God's image. We are a special creation of God. And we are called then as Christians to be separate and different than this world. And so our thinking our philosophy, our actions, the attitude of our life should all be different. Please take some time for some healthy discussion and then pray with your group. God bless.